Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoyed the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. Please take your Bibles and go to Philemon. If you don't know where that is, that's okay. It's not a book we you hear about a lot in church. It's a really tiny one in the New Testament. You've got 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. So you're in that area of the New Testament towards the back. Uh, today we finish up our three-week series through this tiny book. And though it's really tiny, it is a tsunami of God's grace at the same time. Last, here's what we've seen the past two weeks. First week was the surprising grace of God, that a, that a runaway servant, Philemon's runaway servant, Onesimus, could be forgiven, could be freed from his sin, and could be welcomed into the family of God as more than a runaway fugitive servant. And last week we saw how Philemon is being called to be a refreshing person, encouraging people in Christ, when Paul calls him twice a freshmaker, basically. At the beginning of the book, he says, you have refreshed all the saints in the church. And then in verse 20, he tells him, would you refresh my heart in Christ? That we can be people that refresh and encourage and remind one another of the great grace of God. And today, there's one more aspect I think that we need to see about God's grace and what this book shows us, and that there's really only one way we can receive God's grace, and how God's grace changes who we are, changes our past, changes our present, and changes our future. This is what we'll see today in our final sermon of the book in Philemon. So let's read the whole book together, and you can tell your friends, man, we read a whole book at, ch- at church this, this week. It was amazing. And since this book comes to us in the very authority of King Jesus, his exact words, let's stand in honor of the reading of the word of the Lord, and we'll begin in verse 1. And the Spirit says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother." 
especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Holy Father, now, would you by the power of the risen Son of God and by the Holy Spirit, would you take the sword of the Spirit now, your word, and cut through the thoughts and intentions of our heart? Would you pierce to the essence of who we are today by your word? And that those of us who are here who are Christians and are struggling would be refreshed in Christ. And those of us here who are not Christians, would they hear your grace? And would they feel your call that they can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus? Lord, would you do something here that only you can do? And would Jesus be exalted among us? And it's in his mighty name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And if you can, try to bunch in towards the the center. I know we've got people kind of in the back looking for places to sit. So if you can, go towards the middle. If you're able, that'd be awesome. Well, I hope you got lots of candy yesterday. Uh, I was the Hulk. Um, Natalie was Catwoman. Ivy was Spider-Girl. And Oliver was Superman, and we had a lot of fun going out there. And one of the great things about Halloween is to teach your kids about taxes. They got to pay dividends. And woke up this morning, and Nat, uh, Ivy, one of the first things she said this morning was there was a little, you know, little tiny baby Ruth wrapper on the kitchen table. And she came in and said, who ate my candy? And Nat and I both looked at each other. We pointed at each other. And I said, it was your mom, and it was a rapper there. Natalie had some last night, because I threw mine in the trash already. I threw my rappers in the trash. And and Ivy, you know, like every kid goes, you got to ask. And I said, no, we don't have to ask. Let me tell you about taxes. (laughs) And you have no representation. It's just, you just got to pay up. Great time of year. And she asked, she told me this morning, it's so cute. She goes, you can have all the licorice. No way, licorice is gross. I don't want the licorice. You can have the licorice. I, and I, what's, I just have so many memories about Halloween, of being a kid and just all the, but I remember one, I, work, I worked in a coffee shop years ago, and I remember people would come in on Halloween in their costumes and their masks on, and it was really weird, because you had no idea, like, who you're serving and who you're talking to, and some zany, crazy costumes, you got zombies and assassins and all these kind of people coming in, and last night I'm going to bed, and I see on Instagram, someone had just posted a picture of a Little Caesars, and what Little Caesars did was on their door, they had a handwritten sign, and all it said was, take your mask off at the door. 
if you want to be served, take your mask off. And I thought, man, that's really true because you could get robbed. You know, no idea what's happening. They said, take your mask off at the door. And I sat and looked at that picture and I thought, what a great message for Christians too. That we got to, all of us, we have to take our masks off. Not just at the door here, but it's got to be all of life. It has to be all of life where we're willing to be known and be who we really are. Hiding doesn't get us anywhere in the long run. It pays off in the short run. I'm not going to kid you. Of course hiding pays off in the short run. That's why we do it. But it never pays off in the long run. Think about the Gospels. Who does Jesus go to? He goes to the people who are honest about their weakness. He goes to the people who realize, I am in need. He goes to the people and is drawn to the people who readily admit their brokenness and their need for him. Jesus looks to those people and says, come down from that tree. I'm going to your house today. And all the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all the uptight religious people who have all the masks on, who are whitewashed tombs but inside full of dead men's bones, he looks at them and says, you don't get it. But I'm willing to go to the people who are broken and acknowledge it. And I know a lot of Christians, we think this way. We think the masks are going to help. We think if we cover up our past, who we really are, we'll have help. If we cover up our present, we'll have help. Listen. Our entire lives, our past, our present, we can't cover them up if we want to experience the power of Christ. We're too embarrassed to be honest. We shouldn't be. We're too embarrassed to be real. We're too weirded out to show who we really are. And that even if we are Christians, we're all, we struggle with even being honest about who we used to be. And that now it's all really covered by the blood of the Lamb, and now I can totally brag on Jesus for what he's done. And here's why this matters on a large scale, why this matters to the book of Philemon. If we leave the masks on, we can never be known. If you leave the mask on, you can never be known, which means you can never really be loved. And if you leave the masks on, then you can never really love someone else. You cannot give love, and you cannot be loved. This matters to the church community. And the, secondly, the world needs to know from us and the way we live and the way that we love that life in Christ actually means something. That life in Christ actually sets us free. That there is a new personal reality a new existence, a new future, a new power, a new hope, and a new life in and with Jesus Christ. But if we keep wearing the mask, we keep being fake, and we keep hiding, we neuter the power of the gospel. Listen, it is only in Christianity that you can get a new past. It is only in Christianity that you can get a new grace-infused presence. It is only in Christianity that you can get not only a new past, not only a new present, but also an incredibly bright and glorious future. The world, other religions, just think about Buddhism, you got karma, you got reincarnation, you got all these kinds of things. The past is in the past. What's done is done. That's the way of the world. What's done is done. Now we just live with it. Now we just got to try to figure it out and do the best you can. Christianity says, no, I, in Christ, you can get a brand new past. In Christ, you can get a brand new story. 
Christianity says you can have a new past, you can have a new present, and you can have a new future. And this isn't like the, some kind of biblical witness protection program. And this isn't like, hey, after the second service, we'll be printing fake IDs and building A. That, that's, that's, that's not how this works. What this is, is that you can have a new, perfect, sinless, righteous past put on your account. That when you believe in Jesus, what happens is your entire life is now dipped into his life. Becoming a Christian is not asking Jesus to come into your life. Becoming a Christian is receiving the invitation to be invited into his life, to be dipped into his royalty, to put on his righteousness. When you become a Christian, it's our entire past is now covered by Jesus' past. Our entire present is now whatever is true of Jesus right now, this moment, that is how the Father looks at me right now in this moment. This is why I'm a co-heir with Christ and why you are too. This is why when we think about our past, the Father looks and says, let's think about matters as past. What do I see? I see my son. I see his righteousness. I see his perfection. And this is why now in Christ, by faith alone, not by works, but by believing in Jesus, you can be accepted, you can be forgiven, you can be freed, and you can be right with God. Your future is incredibly bright in Christ. Your present, totally defined by Jesus, and your past no longer haunts you. Some of you are haunted by your past. This is part of the glorious message of Christianity. There is nothing so big in your life that cannot overcome the empty tomb of Jesus. A gift of grace that each one of us, we need to remind each other of, and we got to tell the world, is that you don't have to be haunted by your past. You don't have to be a product of your past. You don't have to be a product of what's happened to you. You don't have to be a product of what you've done. You aren't chained to your past. Your meaning, your value, your worth, they are not spoiled because of what's happened to you. In Christ and in Christ alone, we are given a vibrant and new reality, a new life and a new identity. And the book of Philemon is showing us all of this. What did we just read about with Onesimus? He was a runaway fugitive servant of Philemon's. He could be in big, big trouble. He's all but ruined his life by running away. By running away from his master and the Greco-Roman world, he's all but destroyed any chance of having a better life. It was not uncommon for these runaway servants to just die on the run, to get caught, to be captured by some gang, to go have to fight in some other person's war and battle, to be caught and then returned, only to be beaten, to be whipped, to be branded as a runaway, or to even be forced to wear an iron collar that has the name of their master, and on it says, if I'm, if I'm out of this city, this district, I'm a runaway. Return me to my master. Basically like a dog collar but made from heavy iron. Or even if the master was in a really bad mood, 
he could have his runaway slave crucified. Any of these things could have happened to Onesimus. He's all, he's brought it on himself. And he knows this, these are the risks. He gambles it all. And he gets caught. But he doesn't get caught by a Roman official. He doesn't get caught by any spies. He gets caught by Jesus. And getting caught by Jesus is the greatest thing that could ever happen to any of our lives. Because when, he rece- when we get caught by Jesus, he doesn't just tisk tis- us and uh, kick us and now we go hide in the corner. He saves us. Yes, he shows us our sin. But then he says, you can be forgiven and freed. You can be accepted by my Father now, by me. Onesimus is busted, but he's busted in hope, into new life. He meets Paul somehow. We don't, the Bible doesn't say how they meet. Him and Paul meet, and then he becomes a Christian. A new reality is given to Onesimus. And just right there, I mean, think about it. You have a runaway fugitive. He's just hightailing it, no idea what's happening. He meets Paul, who's in prison somehow, and he becomes a believer. A message to everyone in this room. You cannot outrun the grace of God. You cannot escape the grace of God. There is nothing in your life that you have done that is now, oh, man, there's no way God could save me now. You haven't, your life is not a choose-your-own-adventure novel. You choose A, then two will happen. You choose B, then five will happen. That's not how it works. The grace of God is hovering over us the whole time. We cannot run from him. We cannot evade him. He is the hound of heaven. His grace is too fast, too nimble, too ninja-like, and too brilliant for us to evade it. Think about the scriptures. Whether we are a Jonah running away from God's will, or whether we are a Joseph who's been mistreated by others, or whether we are an Onesimus running away in sin, or whether we are the prodigal son, the grace of God always finds his people. And is just behind us, ready to change us, ready to welcome us, ready to comfort us, and ready to even pounce on us when we least expect it. And Paul is writing back to Philemon, his Onesimus' master, telling him what's happened to Onesimus, and that Onesimus has a new identity. Look at verse 10. Grace removes our masks, gives us a new identity. Look at verse 10. I appeal to you. For my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. One, this is just amazing that Paul interjects himself. I appealed, and look what he says. What does he call Onesimus? My child. He does not say, I appeal to you, Philemon, for your servant, Onesimus. I appeal to you, Philemon. He doesn't say, for your runaway fugitive slave. I appeal to you for my child. Why does that matter? Paul is showing us already how Jesus changes the way we think about each other. Onesimus isn't defined by who he is or what he was or what he's done. He is now totally defined by who he is in Jesus. His past is covered. Paul doesn't need to bring it up. 
He doesn't refer to him as your runaway, as the guy who did you wrong, the guy who stabbed you in the back. He calls him my child. His past is covered, settled, and done. Do you believe that about yourself if you're in Christ? That your past is totally covered by the blood of Jesus. Do you feel forgiven? We, we Bible Belt people, we can acknowledge the doctrine of forgiveness. That's biblical. But do you experience it? Do you feel it? I think we'd all smile more. We'd have more joy. I think the level of joy that we have is exact parallel to our feeling forgiven. Do you still find yourself haunted by what lies back there? That's not from the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe you need salvation. Maybe you can readily enough agree, yeah, Jesus died, but I'm still feeling like, ooh, haunted by my past. Maybe it's because you haven't believed he died for you. That he paid for your sins. It's very different to believe and acknowledge Jesus died and something else totally otherworldly to believe Jesus died for me, for my sins. He rose again from the dead for my sins. Maybe you need relief. You're in here today and you're just way down, overwhelmed, anxious, and worried and fretful about your past. You need relief. And this is why Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is relief in Christ. There is relief from anxiety. There is relief from fear. There is relief from worry. There is relief from the eternal wrath and hell that is to come. Only in Christ alone. Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, you must believe that the blood of Jesus covers all of our sins, destroys them, drowns them, leaving them powerless against us. And now all of your past, your past and mine, if you are in Christ, it is inadmissible evidence in court. You know, in the book of Job, we get a scene into the heavenly throne room. There's God, and then Satan slithers in, and they're having a conversation about Job. And they're having a discussion. Satan says, he only honors you because you bless him all the time. He would totally turn on you if you brought something. God's like, okay, great, let's, let's give it a whirl. And he doesn't. Imagine there's little these heavenly courtroom scenes about your life. They bring up Satan slithers in. I want to talk about Skip Richter. I want to talk about Denise Boreat. He says, I want to talk about Jeff Meathers. Remember what he did in high school, sophomore year? Remember what he did here? Remember what she did here? But now it's all inadmissible evidence. Because the father's reply every single time will be, yes, paid in full. Yes, covered by the blood of my son. Yes, there is now no condemnation for him or her because he or her is in Christ Jesus. And now what I love about God is God knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows the future. Satan does not. So even when these little courtroom scenes happen, the father can go, are, are you done? Are, are you done, Lucifer? Okay, guess what? I know stuff Jeff's going to do next year that you don't know. And he's still forgiven. This is the glory and weight of the gospel. 
past covered, presence and our present state is infused with grace, and our future is always covered by the blood of Jesus. Grace gives us a new identity, and grace changes our usefulness. Look at verse 11. It talks about Onesimus. It says, formerly, so back then, his past, he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. This is a little wordplay Paul's doing. He's, he's having a little fun. Onesimus' name means useful. So he says, hey, the guy named useful, he used to not be very useful to you. But now in Christ, do not see him that way. He's incredibly useful to me. He's incredibly useful to you and incredibly useful to the mission. And Paul says in these following verses, I'd like to keep him. But he, I'm sending him back to you so you guys can be reconciled. He served me well in my mission. And guys, what every Christian here should learn, every single one of us is incredibly useful to the name and fame of Jesus Christ. And I know some of you doubt that because I hear it. And I know some of you doubt it because you don't try to live it. You are useful. You, Ephesians 2.10 says, the good works have been prepared for you to walk in by King Jesus. So whether you've been a Christian for a few decades or you've become a Christian just in the past year, you're useful to him. You can be used by him for his namesake. And sometimes I hear Christians talk about just they're not able to do such and such and they can't do X, Y, Z because of their past. They're, they're just not ready. They don't know enough. Uh, Jesus couldn't use somebody like me. Uh, you just don't know what I've done. I, I can't do that. Listen, don't forget that Jesus is well-versed in using fools for his fame. This is all he uses. It's not like Jesus is finding the elite and using them. He always finds the fools, the unthinkable for his glory. Let's start off with how about Abram, the moon worshiper? Become Father Abraham, who's going to have many sons. How about Moses, the stuttering, timid, anger management needing man, leading the nation of Israel? Shepherd boy, very good with a slingshot and a harp to slay a giant and to become king. How about Paul, a persecutor of the church? How unlikely can you be to become the great missionary and apostle that we know? And Onesimus, the runaway fugitive servant who church history tells us will become a pastor of a large church in the next few decades. Church, this reminds us that the gospel, the power of God, the grace of God, and the church of God uses the unlikely. And there isn't a template that Jesus uses. And that the church, the mission, the gospel, listen, isn't for people just like us. There is no just like us. There's no template. The, the church, the gospel, isn't just for us. I mean, for a church like ours, predominantly white, few other races represented, generally all from the same kind of socioeconomic brackets. But what we need to understand, first of all, Every single one of us is Onesimus. Every single one of us. No one in this room was born a Christian. And we got to stop saying stuff like that. Someone gives their testimony and says, oh, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. No one is. No one is ever born a Christian. You must be born again. Doesn't matter that you grew up in church. Doesn't matter you know Bible facts. You must 
have been crucified with Christ and raised with him into newness of life. We're all brought forth in iniquity. We're all born sinners in need of his grace. We're all outcasts. We're all runaways. We're all fugitives against the glory of God. But in Christ, he brings us in. So since we're all Onesimus, we don't profile people by their past. You know the government can get in trouble for racial profiling? The church gets in trouble with past profiling and present profiling and future profiling. Well, I know they're going to be like that. I mean, they come from that neck of the wood. That's their skin color. That's that, they're always going to be like that. That's satanic. Profiling people by their clothes, by their car, by their neighborhood, by how smart they are. You know, it would be, this is why this letter isn't just to Philemon. It's to the whole church to the church in his house, because it'd be way easy for everyone in the church to make snap judgments and profiles about Onesimus. Oh, he became a Christian now? How convenient. How convenient for the runaway fugitive to come to Christ. He's a slave. He couldn't have become a Christian? No way. But the gospel came to him. Jesus saved him, and he's new. This is why we should never put caution tape around the gospel mission. Onesimus becoming a believer and then not only being a believer but becoming a pastor should encourage, inspire, and motivate your evangelism and mine. That the most unlikely people can be won to Jesus by the power of Jesus. Just as Paul was unlikely, Onesimus was unlikely, we must remember I was unlikely. It doesn't matter. Your children are unlikely. It doesn't matter that they're growing up in a Christian home. Every Jew grew up in a God-centered home. And many of them did not know Christ. You and I are Gentiles. We are outside, but now we've been brought in. We are all unlikely. And we are way too tempted and give into it to look at people in our workplaces, in our communities, in our families, and think they're unlikely. Brothers and sisters, do not belittle the grace of God. I love when Russell Moore says, this is so profound, the next Billy Graham might be drunk right now. The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin Fish bumper decal. The next Charles Wesley might currently be a misogynistic, profanity-spewing hip-hop artist. And if you don't know Lecrae's story biggest, most popular Christian hip-hop artist. Drugs, drinking, gangs. Now he's a reformed rapper. The next Charles Spurgeon might be managing an abortion clinic today. The next Augustine of Hippo might be a sexually promiscuous cult member right now, just like, come to think of it, the first Augustine of Hippo was. The Spirit of God can turn all of this around, he says. The new birth doesn't just transform lives, creating repentance and faith. It also provides new leadership to the church and fulfills Jesus' promise to gift his church with everything needed for her onward march through space and time. After all, while Philip was leading the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ, Saul of Tarsus was still a murderer. And that happens over and over again as God raises up leaders who seem to come out of nowhere with shady past and uncertain futures. 
and none of us would be here apart from them. I look around this church and go, man, there's a lot of shady past out there. And hallelujah, praise the Lord. Because every single one of us has a shady past. But some of us have just been more honest. Some of us have been more free. Some of us realize that the Son really did set me free indeed. Some of us really do walk in the power of what we sang. Our shame was great, but Jesus is greater. So maybe, just maybe, what we're learning from Onesimus is that maybe Jesus is calling some of you to be church planters. Maybe Jesus is calling some of you to be missionaries. Maybe Jesus is calling some of you to be deacons, to be pastors, become elders, biblical counselors, group leaders, whatever. And what Satan wants you to do is to look at your past and go, no way. But what the gospel wants you to do is to look and say, yes. Because in Jesus, my past is taken care of, my present is empowered, and my future is glorious. And once we understand how the gospel handles those things, we will not only understand them personally, but we will understand them across the board. We'll begin to look at each other and go, oh yeah, her past is handled by Jesus. Her present is filled with the grace of God. Her future is incredibly bright because Jesus changes our relationships. Jesus just doesn't change us like individual pod people. He changes all of us. We're all together a part of the vineyard that is the kingdom of God. Look at verse 15. Look at how Jesus changes our relationships. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you from a while, Paul says, that you might have him back forever as what? 16. No longer as a bondservant, but more, more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So who is Onesimus now? He's more than a bondservant. He's more than his Roman identity. He's a beloved brother. You and I must realize we are more than our American-given identities. And we must look at each other as you are more than what you do. You are more than how much you make. You are more than where you live. You are more than your marital status. You are more than how many kids you have. You are more than being a homeschool mom, being, being a public school family, being a whatever, a businessman. A business, you are more than these things. And we must look at each other as more than those things. We must go beyond defining each other in the terms of, well, that's the business guy, that's the, you know, that's the homeschool family, oh, that's, that's the pretty, you know, really cute crowd. Oh, that's the single person. It's very easy for us to just start lumping people in categories. But really, who are we? What's the most significant thing about us now, about each other? In the Lord, verse 16. We are in the Lord together. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord. So now when we look at each other, we interact with each other, we talk with each other, we eat together, there is a new definition, a new grounding wire, a new common denominator that we have in the Lord. I don't know, that person, we don't really click or get along, you know, we kind of like different stuff. So what? We have the same eternal interest, the Lord. We have the same eternal grounding, the Lord. This is why when conflict in a church happens, when hurtful speech 
unloving thoughts and attitudes and unrepentant sin towards other Christians in the church occurs. This is why it's so awful. Because we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. So it's not only am I hurting or sinning against a brother or sister, I'm also against Christ. And I'm dividing the body of Christ. When cells in the human body start to only benefit themselves, there's a medical word for that, cancer. The cells in the human body are meant to serve each other, help each other. It's the cells that go inward and begin to attack the body. When that happens, we subtly begin to teach each other and ourselves that Christian unity, being bound together in the Lord, doesn't really matter. And once that takes root, over time, then the Lord doesn't really matter to us. And you know this because you've seen it. That when people slowly drift away from the local church, a hundred percent of the time, unless they repent and come back to Christian community, what happens? They eventually drift away from Jesus. Or they have some kind of their own version of Jesus that isn't Jesus at all. Because if Christians don't matter to you, then Jesus doesn't matter to you. If the Lord matters to you, then Christians matter to you because they are beloved brothers and sisters. So, so are other Christians precious to you? Do you want to bear their burdens? Do you like to be around other Christians? Do you want to love them? Do you want to be loved by them? What about new Christians? People who are new to the church or people that are going to be saved in the next year. American culture, we have like a vetting process. It's like, I don't know if I, this person's going to be good. I don't know if I can trust them or I can you know, be with this person. Not in the church. Think about Paul and Onesimus. He, Onesimus is a fairly new believer. And how does Paul already feel about him? He loves him. He calls him my child. That's not a term that he's just using for, oh, yeah, I led him to Christ, so I call him my child. He feels this way about him. How could he love this guy so much? He barely knows him, and they didn't meet under the best circumstances. What he knows about him, you're a runaway, fugitive servant, and now he's a Christian. This is what he knows about Onesimus. How does Paul get there with him? Here's how. Because Paul knows he has been so loved by Jesus, he sees Onesimus the way Jesus does. He doesn't let the past change the way he looks at Onesimus. He loves Onesimus the way Jesus does. Because he has been welcomed into Onesimus' world, and Onesimus has been welcomed into Paul's world, love and unity in Christ abound. And if you've ever experienced this, you know it. This is the key to surprising, radical, gospel-formed community when we see each other the way Jesus sees us. When we love each other the way Jesus loves us. When we take off the mask and we show people, this is who I really am. Then love abounds. When I'm in a counseling appointment or I'm discipleship or having coffee and someone confesses or shares something, will you pray for me about this? I have never thought, man, that person's weird. I don't know if I can hang out with them anymore. Instead, I feel a greater love for that person leaving than when I came in. 
because we're beloved brothers and sisters in, in the Lord. And so now we want to bear each other's burdens. This is the kind of Christian community we're all dying for. I want to be this. I want to live for this. I, I need this. And so do you. And I know I can't do this on my own. This kind of radical love is not within me naturally. It's not within any of us. I can't do this, and I know you can't do this. So what do we do? We recognize it's not in our own power. That's why Paul says, in the Lord. It can only come from him. We must remember that we've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer us who live. And the lives that we now live, we live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So now it's all Jesus through us. He's at work in us. I can't love the way the Bible calling me to love without Jesus. You cannot love and forgive and serve and love the way the Bible calls without Jesus. He must do it in you. And this is why the Christian community comes together, and we, together, we look to him and say, lead us, Lord. Would your love become the blueprint for us? So we must crucify the flesh together. We must put to death the old man together. We must nuke the old habits and categories of how we would treat one another. And we must walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we must live as aliens and ambassadors of the new Jerusalem here today. So let's take off our masks at the door. And let's behold the glory of Christ together as beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord. Then the grace of God will be so surprising. Then the grace of God will be so radical. And then the grace of God will be incredibly refreshing to us all. Let's pray.